Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. Well, praise the Lord. Let me, uh, let me share with you something. Um, there was a Hindu priest... There was a Jewish rabbi, and there was a Christian TV televangelist, and they were all together. They were trying to work out how they were going to gather all the different faiths and how to work it out together, and so they had this uh, gathering together, and they uh, decided that they were going to stay together for the weekend, and someone offered to put them up in a nice farmhouse area, and they were going to gather and speak and relate to one another. The problem was there was only two extra bedrooms in the house, so he said, the good news is I have room for all of you, but one of you will have to sleep in the barn. Well, the Hindu priest said, hey, that's no problem. I'll, I'll go out there, and the, the rabbi and the, the Christian televangelist, he can, they can stay in the house. So they settle down. A few minutes later, the Hindu priest comes in, and he's knocking on the outside of the door. He says, uh, I, I can't stay in there. You see, in my faith, we uh, celebrate cows, and there's a cow in there, and I, I can't sleep there. With Rabbi says, that, that's no problem. I'll, uh, I'll be glad to uh, stay there for you. And so the rabbi goes out. A few minutes later, there's a knock at the door. Rabbi comes in. He goes, man, I can't stay there. There's a pig in there. And in my faith, you know, that's, that's defilement. I, I can tell evangelists, man, I, it's no problem. My Savior was in a stable. I can preach to anything. I'm, I'll, I'll go out there. No problem. So he goes out, the televangelist goes out. A few minutes later, there's another knock on the door. This time, it's the pig and the cow. <laughs> I have nothing against televangelists. In fact, Joel Olstein told that one. I thought it was cute. So just, uh, all right. I wanted to liven you up before I give you the, what I believe is a really straight-focused message this morning. I've been praying that this would really uh, hit our hearts. So let's, let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. One, we are celebrating. This is the, the after party of the most important day, the resurrection of the Savior who came to save the world. So Holy Spirit, you're welcome here this morning. I pray that you would speak deep into the places of our heart, that you would bring the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would have knowledge of who you are and this purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You should have a copy of the outline. If you didn't get one, you could raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. Um, if uh, one of our ushers would just run and get, just leave it up for just a moment, it'll make a whole lot more sense. I'm a real visual learner, and uh, so we're going to look at that this morning. Let me key us in, get us on the same page. The Last week, we looked at when the kingdom breaks in, into life. Just raise your hands again here, and uh, we'll give you an outline. I think there was a couple here. Got it? Okay, good. Last week, when God breaks in in kingdom, and we looked at why would God break into the kingdom? We shared last week that his purpose is to reveal himself so that we might be saved. When we look at, when you look at the big picture of what are key events in human history, let's Let's make the big thing the right thing, the focus thing today. 
keeping that main picture, when you look at humanity, and we get focused on we're living here, we got all our situations, circumstances, but when you look at the human race, there are probably at least five big events that happen. One is the creation. Science is now figuring out there really was a big bang. <laughs> well, duh, in the beginning God said, let there be, and there was. And then there's the creation of humankind, Adam and Eve. Then there was the birth of Christ after the fall. Then there was the resurrection, which is what we're remembering today. And the final biggie is he's coming back again. We dealt with that last week and the week before about how eager are you in the waiting for him to come back? Because that'll tell you something about your heart. So this morning as we look at, I am he that lives, I was dead, behold, I am alive forevermore, amen. On that morning, in the whole revelation of what God was doing, we look at this, but there's some other things that happened on Resurrection Sunday, and I Unless you really, I tried to share this Friday night at our Good Friday night service. Unless we get a real handle on the revelation of what he did, we will miss the purpose of what's going on here this morning. There was this, yes, there was this impartation of God. The incarnate Christ was born, came in as a child. He lives and now he dies. His reason for coming and living in a human body was that he might die to save his children. So there's something really huge that happens that we remember this morning. This is when the devil loses his authority. Right? It is the demarcation of the Old Testament to the New Testament. When Jesus on that night of the Passover, when he said, I take this bread and I break it, this is my body that has been broken for you. This is my blood now seals the covenant. So there is this demarcation in human history. There was this event of time, but now we're about ready to enter into a new season. The church age is about to be birthed. A new covenant. Hebrew says, the Hebrew writer says, the old covenant is now obsolete. The blood of goats and lambs, they're not going to do that anymore. It was the blood of the Savior that now seals this new covenant. And so this day, remember, this is where he goes in. We're going to look at some of the scriptures. Jesus gets all the full authority back. The devil messed with him. Remember after he was baptized in Luke's gospel, chapter 3, he comes out of the water. It says literally that God the Father, the heavens were rent. It says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends on him. And then he goes into the desert in Luke 4, 1. It says, and now Jesus, full of the Holy Ghost, goes in to be tempted, led by the Spirit of God to be tempted. And the devil tries three things, attacks his identity. If you're the son of God, you fasted for 40 days, why don't you change these stones into bread? You're so hungry. And he says, wait a second, you've attacked the identity. What do you mean, if I am the son of God? Right? And then he attacks his wall. He comes up, he takes him on a pinnacle. He says, let me show you the kingdoms. And I will give you these kingdoms, Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me. Why? Because he had authority. Our great, 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 great parents lost the keys of authority in the garden. And then Jesus, he didn't argue with them and said, well, you know, they're not yours. No, he didn't say. He says, you don't worship anything but God and him alone. Then he says, well, then why don't you throw yourself off the high pinnacle? Doesn't it say, and the devil misquotes scripture out of context in, in Psalm 91, he says, doesn't it say that if you throw yourself down, the angels will take charge of you whether you dash your foot on a stone? So the devil tried all through the twisting of Scripture, the tack on his, ident his identity, the, the transference. You can bypass the cross, Jesus, if you'll just worship me. 
Jesus, knowing all things, was tempted. Well, now, this day, after the resurrected Christ, I tried, this hit me so hard Thursday when I was preparing for the Friday night message. Three times, Mary Esther said it this morning again, that had hit her on Friday night. Three times, the Son of the living God in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of the Gethsemane, said, God, Father, let this cup pass from me. Three times, says he was so full of anxiety and fear, says he even sweated blood to the point of my, my heart is so grieved. And if God the Father and God the Son could not figure out another way for this cup to pass, it had to go this way. This is the day. Why? And as soon as he comes out of the grave, it's over. You now have full authority delegated to you and me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're marked by the blood, your name's written in the book, and now you have full authority. Let's look at some of the scripture. Let me read the first part of the outline. I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. The power of hell has been conquered. Jesus declared, I have the keys of hell and of death. This is significant. They're different. I want to focus on this. I have the keys, plural, of hell and death. There is a key of death and there is a key to the place called hell. In the Greek, it's called Hades. Hades is the land of the dead or the abode of departed souls. Oh, Pastor, that sounds a little weird. No, it's in the book, and it's true. We're going to see over and over again when many of the, the lead disciples and apostles tell you of it to prepare you for it, then Jesus himself declares it. So Scripture is very clear. Hades is an actual place. Now, the counterpoint of death and the place called hell or Hades is life and heaven. And the only way there is Jesus. What did he tell them on John 14, right? The night when he was being betrayed, they were all worried. And he said, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The way to heaven and the way to life is only through Christ. There's a lot of other folks trying to figure it all out. There's only one way. If you have the Son, you have the Father. If you have not the Son, you have not life. That's what John said. And so we were unbelievers at one point, all of us. You weren't born into salvation. You've got to make a declaration. You've got to come and give your heart. For by faith are you saved by faith, right? And so we see what we were unbelievers. It says in the scriptures, when you're an unbeliever, you are dead. You are dead. There's only two types of people alive in this house today. Those who believe in Christ and those who are not sure or don't believe. And the Bible says you're dead or you're alive. It's one of those or others. And so... The scriptures are absolutely clear. They don't mix words here and try to, it doesn't fog it up. No, it says, once you were a non-believer, you were dead with trespasses and sin. But now as believers, you've been raised from the dead along with Christ, and you are seated. This is, this is amazing. You're seated with him in heavenly realms. That's in Ephesians. But pastor, we're standing right here. 
spiritually, you're alive and seated with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He sits at the right hand of the Father and says, yeah, I'm here. And one day, since you're born again and you're alive already, you're just going to make the transfer. It says, you've been seated with him. Spiritually, you're there with him. Your name is written in the book. Well, as we go on, it says, we often appreciate what we have when we see what it's like if we were to lose it. Your health. When you've lost your health, you realize, man, I really want my health back. If you've had a broken relationship and you remember what it was like, you might desire for it to be back. Food, flush toilets, clean. That was on my mind. We just got back from Nepal, India, sleeping on the floor and no toilets, squatty potties in the mountains of the Himalayas. When you get back, and you, I remember getting in the shower, the hot water, I'm like, oh. But you know, you don't realize it when you got it every day. But when you're about to lose something that's precious, and I believe what Jesus did over and over again through so many of the Old Testament books, the New Testament books, he goes, if you don't have Christ, there is a place that is going to be prepared. It's already prepared for you. Now, I, he says in Deuteronomy 30, I, choo- I wish that you would choose life, that you and your descendants would live. All heaven will witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life and live. There's a pleading from the Old Testament prophet Moses, but then we see it over and over again. We don't really appreciate things, I believe, until we see what could have been lost. And what Jesus does, he tells us the consequences and the loss that will come if you reject the eternal life that he offers. So on this amazing day, in the remembrance that he's alive, he's no longer dead, he's not in the tomb. Why do you search for the living among the dead? I love that. We shared that in prayer this morning. Such an amazing day of remembrance. Let's rejoice. Well, let's, let's take a look at Revelation chapter 1. What I want to show you is what I believe scripturally the Lord is saying, I have kept you from these things. So we will celebrate what we now have in the Spirit, waiting for the revelation of that to come, the manifestation for those who believe. So turn with me to the back of the book. Revelation chapter 1, the history on this is John is the only surviving apostle. All the disciples have been martyred. He's in prison on the Isle of Patmos before his testimony. And it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So he's sitting on this island. It's a prison camp. He's by himself and the Holy Spirit reveals to him John, I need you to write down, and then Jesus himself reveals, write down what's coming. Tell my people. In fact, the book says here, if you read this aloud, you become blessed. So we're going to read some of it aloud. Hallelujah. Verse 17, chapter 1 of Revelation 1, 17. And when I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as I was dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Now let's go to chapter 1, verse 4. Just look to the left. 
Verse 4. This is the letter from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. There were seven churches, literal churches in western Turkey. They had been church plants. The disciples had planted there. They were growing, expanding. John then writes to them, but also representative of the churches here today that exist. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. I love that. From the sevenfold spirit before the throne. These are the seven spirits of God that Isaiah speaks of. And from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness of the things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. Sets the tone. He got the keys back. He's got authority. And he's got keys that unlock hell and death. He goes on, he says, and all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. By shedding his blood for us, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the cloud of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes and amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. That'll leave a lot of room, okay? Who's in charge and who's large? It's Jesus. He's back, right? John sees it. He goes, because John, you got to imagine, he's in prison. He's been exiled. He's probably been beaten. They tried, history says they tried to kill him by boiling him in oil. He could not die because his mission was not done yet. So he's probably been beaten. He's been, he's been set aside. He probably doesn't have the right amount of food. But he's there, and all of a sudden, in the spirit realm, Jesus shows up. Son, write this down. <laughs> he goes, okay. And I saw him, and he makes it clear. I'm the beginning I was, always was, and guess what? I'm coming back again. And he says, encourage your heart with this. That's what Jesus said in John 14 twice. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't you realize I'm coming back? When everything's ready, I'm coming back. But you better be careful because you don't know the day or the hour. He could suddenly be like a woman who gives birth suddenly. He says, I'm coming back. Those who eagerly wait for him. Let's look at the outline. And Jesus, the way, the truth. Number one, I am he that lives. I have the keys of death and Hades. Hades is a place of dead, the torment, and there is no escape from it. Now, there's some teachings going on today. It's errant. It's not biblical. Well, God's going to save everybody. No worries. There is no hell. I don't know what book you're reading, but it's not true. So let's take a look. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16. This is red letter. This is Jesus himself making it very clear. There is a place that he would like us not to go to. Keep your finger in Luke 16. And let's turn to Ephesians 2. I want to set up what he's going to tell us about Luke 16. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, this is the letter from Paul, chosen. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, 
You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. I like how the New Living Translation, let's go to King James. King James says, in times past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit thou now works in the children of disobedience. That's an active, right now it is the activity of those who are in disobedience, those who are dead. The dead world that's out there, the God of this world is still operating. Just turn on the television, you get that, right? You were once like that, but you're not like that. You're not listening to the commander of the power of the unseen world. He is the spirit that works in the heart of those who refuse to obey God. Verse 3, all of you used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of your sinful spirit. But our very nature, we are now subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, I love that. Verse 5. But God is rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life and raised us from the dead. And we are by his grace, you have now been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, seated him in the heavenly realms. And because we are now united with him, so God can point to us in the future ages, examples of the incredible wealth of his grace. You've been saved by grace, not works, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, you're saved by grace, not works, lest anybody should boast about what they've done. Salvation is not a reward of your good things you've done. None of us can boast about it, for God now has made you his masterpiece. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you're a masterpiece. Come on, say it like you mean it. You're a masterpiece. You're not a masterpiece, you're a masterpiece. Now, somebody was like, yeah, but you don't know what he did this morning or said this. Come on now. We are our masterpiece in Christ. I love it. Let's look at verse 8 and 9. It says that grace that he gives us, right? Okay, now turn back to Luke's gospel. Now that we've set you up, it says it's by grace we've been saved. Jesus tells this story as a parable to reveal truth. But it also is so revealing when you piece together what Paul says in Ephesians and what Peter says in 1 Peter, and we're going to look at that, and then you'll see what John says in Revelation. uh, Luke 16, let's look at verse 19. The story of a rich man and Lazarus. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple, fine linen, who lived each day in luxury. Let me just say, you just described most of the United States. I've been in places. So if we think, oh, well, that's a rich guy. 95% of the world would love to change places with us. So if we think we're far separated, we need to be careful here. Verse 20, at the gate lay a poor man. His name was Lazarus. He was covered with sores. He was sick. He was... Lazarus lay there every day longing for scraps from the rich man's table. The dogs would come and they would lick his open sores. You got to get a picture of this. The rich man would probably come out of his front porch and walk by the poor guy there, the dogs licking him. He had the wherewithal to help him and he did not. Watch out, oh rich man. 
I remember one time in Hong Kong working for GE. Best Buy Hotel was $400 a night. GE put me up there. I was doing business there. And I remember coming. I was headed back to my hotel room. They had a fruit basket there. I couldn't eat that in a week that was there for me. And as I came, there were people underneath the bridge. And I came out, and I was headed to my hotel, and I stepped over a homeless man. And I had the Holy Spirit speak to me. He says, watch out, rich man. That struck me. It was like, whoa, God, how do I, how I handle this, God? It's like, God, help me. And then when I went on my first mission trip, I said, as long as I live, I will never change the story of missions ever again. That's why we have 111 orphans in our care, four orphanages, 201 churches. God, we, gotta, we have to sow, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all men. The humility. I encourage you to watch some movies. I watched one the other night called The Lion. I just got back from Nepal and India and uh, Shanghai, China, and we visited with 350 of our pastors. We saw our children there. The Lion is about an orphan boy who gets separated from his family. I wept. It brought me right there. I said, God, thank you, because I just saw the pictures. We showed them the first Sunday back of our little children in, that came to sing the songs for us from the orphanage. They have no food. They have no family. They have nothing. And God allows us, like Jacob shared today, allows us, oh rich man, to give to those who have nothing. And they're so full of hope and joy. I mean, let's go on with the story. It says, Finally, verse 22, Luke 16, 22. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. Now, that's interesting. This is Old Testament. When they died, he was a righteous man. We'll see this later in Peter. The righteous from the Old Testament were carried to a place. Old Testament scripture says, Father Abraham's bosom. Now, you're laying on someone, you're close. It's the place where it was prepared and it is distinctly different from hell and the flame place. Let's read on. When the poor man was carried by the angels, the angels came. You wonder, have you ever seen anybody die? I've held the hands of those going to pass on to this transfer and it's like all of a sudden you're looking at the shell. There's no spirit there anymore. The angels come. Many describe things that could be the angelic presence coming says, the angels came and they took him to Father Abraham. The rich man died and he was buried. His soul went to the place of the dead. King James says it this way. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, seeing Abraham far off, Lazarus in his bosom. Now listen to the story. This is not just like some bedtime. Jesus is laying it out for us. The reality of what's coming to everyone who does not know him. The rich man shouts, Father Abraham, have some pity on me. Send Lazarus over here. Dip his finger in the water. Cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in the flames. Abraham says, son, remember, during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted. He had nothing. He didn't give him a sermon about you should have done more. You could have searched for me. So now here he is being comforted and you're in the anguish. Besides, there's a great separation or a chasm that separates. No one can cross over to you from here. No one can come from there. 
Okay, that's pretty straightforward. I know this is nice, easy listening, fire and brimstone, but let's, let's, let's look on here, right? Let's look at, in 3A, it says, Hades is a place of the dead. It's a place of torment. Prior to the resurrection, 3A, Jesus claims two places, Hades and the place with Father Abraham. They're here, he preaches to, to the spirits in prison. In 1 Peter 3.18 and Ephesians 4.9. In fact, we won't turn to Ephesians. We will to Peter in just a minute. In Ephesians 4.9, he says this. When Christ ascended, he led a crowd of captives. But if he first ascended, he first had to descend into the lower world. This is my understanding of Scripture. Jesus died, goes in the tomb. He's separated by spirit. He goes down into the lower parts of the earth. And I'll show you this in the book of Peter, and I'll show you it later in Revelation. It says, I got the keys back. I believe there was this exchange. He goes down to the place of Hades and torment. The devil's got it all locked up, and he's got all this. And devil said, he tells the devil, give me the keys back. I want the keys now. I got it. You, you crucify, you tried. And the devil goes, oh, my gosh. What have I done now? And he gets the keys back. And he goes over and he unlocks Abraham's area. And he says, all you who are righteous, come with me. Now you say, Pastor, that's a little far-fetched. Oh, really? Guess what? In Matthew 27, I preached this Friday night, a touch. It's Matthew 27, 52. It says, on the moment that Jesus was resurrected, on that place, when he was resurrected and came out of the grave, guess what else happened? Other tombs, it says, of the righteous were opened. And they appeared to many. They went into Jerusalem. Can you imagine if you were one of those, yeah, I don't believe all that baloney. And grandma says, you need to believe in Yeshua. You need to believe in God the Father. You need to believe. He's coming. He's the Messiah's coming. And all of a sudden, grandma stands and says, I'm here. I told you. It's like, that would freak you out. I'm sure it would freak you out. This is Supernatural. But it is what it is, and it is what God said it is. So come on, he goes down, he gets the keys, he unlocks the doors, and he leaves those in hell still there. Let me give you some scripture to back this up. Turn with me back to Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is written just, these last two books were written just before Peter is going to be killed. He's going to be beheaded by Nero. And he wants to make it very, very clear. 1 Peter 3, let's pick up verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins for all time. Amen? Can I get an amen out of that? He never sinned. He died for sinners to bring you safely. Here we go. The same pattern over and over again. Everyone, This is the message of the gospel. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Verse 19, so he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. It was over 100 years Noah built his boat. All the scoffers. Only eight people were saved in that drowning. This represents the picture of the baptism that now saves you by removing the dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience, it is effective because of the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Now he has gone to heaven, seated, here we go again, at the place of honor next to God, and all the angels and all the authorities and powers accept his authority. It's done. It's finished. 
So then, since Christ suffered, verse 1 of chapter 4, physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude. How's your attitude? Be ready to suffer too, for soon he suffered physically for Christ. You, have been fin- you, be- you now have finished with sin. You don't want to spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desire. Hello? But you will be anxious to do the will of God. Who's my family? Those who do the will of my Father. Did he say that? You have had enough in the past of evil things, the godless things that people enjoy. Immorality, lust, feasting, drunkenness, wild parties, the terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends, they're going to be surprised when you no longer want to plunge into the flood of the wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. You ever been called Jesus freak, goody two-shoes, what's wrong with you? The Bible says, be rejoiceful when that happens to you. When they mock you for your faith, it says this great reward. Come on, it's going to happen. Put it right here in plain faith. So they slander you. Remember, they're going to have to face God who will judge every one of them, both the living and the dead. This is the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined, like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Are you getting the picture here? What he's kept us from? This ought to do something to us. It ought to move us in a love relationship in such a way that we realize what he did. Because when it's all over, I said last week, look around. 50 to 100 years from now, none of you will be here, most likely. Everything you're struggling with now, everything you want and battling for, it's over. The main thing is going to be, what'd you do with Jesus? What did we do with Jesus? It's just him. You there? Acts chapter 2. This is after the pouring out on Pentecost. They were gathered together. Jesus said, don't leave until the Father sends the promise. Acts chapter 1. When it comes, you're going to have power and the Holy Spirit. Well, all of a sudden, he starts pouring it out. Peter steps up in the middle, seizing the moment, realizing what happens. He's actually just prophesied what Joel the prophet prophesied over six, 700 years before. And he says in verse 22 of Acts 2, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, signs through him, as we well know. But God knew what would happen. He prearranged the plan. That's why I love it. In Ephesians where Paul says, when I think of what he did, I fall to my knees. Now here's Peter saying, God's plan. We now see it. He says, the plan that was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. He's speaking to the crowd that did this, who shouted, crucify him. This is not that long. It's like, whoa. But God released him from the sorrows of the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in the grip. We sang that this morning. I love that. When war on hell was raged and death, right? The ground began to shake. Ah, When heaven looked away. Oh, I love it. That That song is so powerful. I see the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. 
No wonder, verse 26, no wonder my heart is glad. My tongue shouts his praise. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul. Here's a prophecy about Jesus spoken by David in Psalm 16. You will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Brothers and sisters, Peter goes on, he says, think about this. You can be sure, the patriarch David, he wasn't referring to himself. He died and was buried. His tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that David's own descendant would sit on the throne. David was looking to the future, speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are his witnesses. Can you see Peter standing there shouting these people? You crucified him. But that was God's plan. And guess what? God wouldn't leave him there. In fact, David prophesied about this. You Jews, you know what it is in Psalm 16. He declares this to them, and they're like, they got to be, they're like, oh my gosh. Now, think of the context. They've seen the Holy Spirit poured out, them speaking, the, all the Galileans speaking in these, la these languages, declaring Christ. The dead have been raised. Grandma's walking around in Jerusalem. They're like, what the heck is going on? When the Roman officer stood there on the night that he was betrayed, it was dark for three hours. And the very Roman officer said, surely this is the Son of God. Come on. What other witnesses do we need? Then they lock him up in the tomb and they post a guard. I've been in the tomb. That stone was big. There is no stone there, right? They said, we got to make sure they don't steal the body, right? Well, guess what? There is no body <laughs> because he's been resurrected body. Come on, that ought to make you happy. And even when, even when, when Thomas... Even when Thomas, he wasn't there in the first appearing after, right? When Jesus showed up and the other disciples, well, Thomas, you probably missed it, buddy. <laughs> Jesus was here. Yeah, right. I, don't, I won't believe until I see the holes in his hand. I won't, see, I won't until I see the spear mark. And the first thing he does, he goes to Thomas. And he doesn't have, Thomas, touch me. He didn't have to say a word. He falls to his feet. He says, my God and my Lord. The revelation of that, when we come to that understanding, he is Lord. I love what Miss Heather, Pastor Heather said this morning. You can't give him 95% of your heart. If he's not Lord of everything, he's not Lord at all. Come on, we got to surrender this. Now, I know it's a journey. We all battle stuff. Tomorrow, I might be able to find my Bible. Right? There's a song, right? Sunday, I was there. and On Monday, I can't even find my Bible. Hey, I know we got issues. But there is a God who loves us, and he gives us the empowerment to walk this out if we choose him. Let's read on. Verse 28 of Acts 2, it says, You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with joy of your presence. He tells them in Jerusalem, Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure. David prophesied. Verse 32, He raised Jesus from the dead, and we're his witnesses Verse 30, now he's exalted in the place of highest honor in heaven. Here we go again. God is seated at his right hand 
And the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour it out on us. That's what you just witnessed, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, well, what must we do? Peter replies, Each of you must repent. Turn from your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is for the Gentiles, and it is to you and your children. All who have called on the name of the Lord God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, 3,000 in all. Now that's a, that's a service. <laughs> Woohoo! Glory to God, that's a service. Well... Look at number six. Jesus tells us in red letters, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell and Hades will not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18, he's building his church. The church of the living God is among us. He prophesied it, he said it. It's interesting, he calls out those two keys that he now has control over, both hell and death. The gates will not prevail against his church. Death and Hades are released during testing. I want you to see this. He's now locked this up. He's got the keys. I don't know if he wears it on his belt or what he's got. But I want you to see what's going to happen. Now let's do some prophetic looking forward that you and I may witness in the near future. First of all, let's look at in number 7. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. You guys doing okay? I know this is a lot of scripture and some of you are like chewing on meat, but it's all right. I, wanted you to, I want you to understand what this day is all about, what he has kept us from. Okay, Revelation chapter 3. First of all, we know we've preached on this through Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. There is a tribulation time coming. I want you to see that we read in first. Revelation, first chapter, John has this revelation. Jesus appears. He says, write it down. He's now addressing each of the churches. They represent actual churches of the time and figuratively churches of our day. And he warns them spiritually what to look out for, what you've done that I like, things you don't like. There are no perfect churches. If that were true, you and I couldn't be here. <laughs> Amen. So he goes on. He says in verse of chapter 3, verse 10, Revelation 3, 10, because you have obeyed my command to persevere. See, there's a perseverance coming. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Do you belong to this world? Right, what do you say? You're no longer a citizen. You're a, you're a, 
non-member. You're, a, so you're an ambassador, but you're no longer. It says, our citizenship is in another place. So there's a test coming on the world to those who do not belong to him. See the clarification? King James says it this way. Because you've kept my word of patience, I will keep you then from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon the world to test them who dwell on the earth. I will come quickly. He goes, let's look at verse Turn to a couple of chapters to the right, chapter 6. So I want you to see there's a place where he's going to keep us from. Now, what is he keeping us from? You'll notice from chapter 4 on until Revelation 19, there is no mention of the church. I don't believe the church is here. The church is the body of us, right? All those who have him. We preached on this, and Beth Moore's covered it a little bit on the Wednesday nights about the rapture of the church, I don't have time to go there. But let's look at what happens. Now in the judgment that God is going to pour out, the judgment on the world for their sin. And it looks about, you, there's lots of movies and all this, the seals and the broken uh, thing that says the lamb and the four horsemen. Let's just pick up in verse 8. Well, let's look at verse 7. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, come and look. The horse whose color is pale green. Its rider's name was death and his companion was hell, the grave. Those who were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine, disease, and wild animals. And when the lamb broke the fifth seal. So I want you to see, there's a moment when there is an unlocking. And here we go again. Death and hell are released. And they're released on the earth. It's the lamb who breaks the seal, who gives them authority to do so. Tracking with me? All right. Well, let's, I'd, I'd like them to get locked up again. And you say, me too. Let's look at Revelation 20. Let's lock those dudes up because we don't want them hanging around when we come back. Revelation 20. I saw, look, verse 11. I saw a great white throne. And the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books, look at it, it's plural, were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as was recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead, and death and hell gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name is not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Does that make it any clearer, any clearer than that? Daniel deals with this in Daniel chapter 7. He says he saw, Daniel saw this hundreds and hundreds of years before even the birth of Christ. He said there's going to be a day in court. It's going to be the judgment. In Daniel chapter 7, it says the courtroom was called into session and the books, and the books were opened and the books of life were there. And I believe it is the book of works. I don't know what other books are there, but it says everyone will be judged according to the book of life. Now we know you can't earn salvation, but once you're in you ought to be motivated to do something for your king. 
He doesn't like lazy subjects. Amen? So there's a book of works. Now, we can't earn it, but there's a place there that says, why don't you, even James, his brother said, why don't you show me your faith by what you do instead of preaching at me all the time? Amen? All right, that's another subject. But let's just, there's a, there's a judgment of books. Well, I like the fact that now he's going to lock up in the death and the hell and grave. He's going to throw it into the lake of fire. And then there's a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. That is the close of the age. So we've been from one side of this to the other. We can't sugarcoat this reality. It would be wrong for us to do that. Now, some of you, maybe you're not fully over the line. You're still battling and struggling. You're wondering, is this true? Is this real? The scriptures are very, very clear. Jesus makes it so clear. I'm the way and the truth and the life. I came that all might find life and that you would live.